We're in the book of Matthew. Why don't you grab your Bible, turn there, Matthew chapter 18 for today's study. On Wednesday night, we'll look at this whole chapter. But I wanna show you a section of this chapter that I think is an important part of Jesus's admonition to us, something we should all perhaps take another look at and um, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Peter brings up the subject, however, and then Jesus um, teaches on it, which is really important. So uh, when I was in junior high, my sister Tammy, who was one year older than I, we would go back and forth with practical jokes. Um, and it got a little crazy at times. But one of, one of the ones, uh, I've maybe shared this before in years past, but uh, it was kind of a funny thing. And, I, and I, it, it brings back memories, you know. Uh, I, but Tammy would every summer, you know, she'd do this thing where she'd go running every day in the hot summer of Southern Oregon. And, um, and she'd always put a bottle of Pepsi in the, in the freezer just before she left. So by the time she got back, there might just be a little skiff of ice on the Pepsi. You know, that was kind of her way of doing it. And so she took, the, I saw it just like clockwork, put the Pepsi in the freezer, took off on her run. Well, being the junior higher that I was, I thought it'd be wonderful to empty out some of the Pepsi and put a full bottle of the big bottle of Tabasco sauce in her Pepsi just to see what would happen. Uh, and so I you know, emptied out the proper amount and refilled it with this big bottle of Tabasco sauce and then put it back in exactly the way she had it. Um, and sure enough, she comes running back, she's beet red, hot, and she reaches into the freezer, grabs a Pepsi and just, just doesn't even really look at it, thankfully. And she just starts taking chugs out. I'm thinking, oh, this is gonna be great. And then after a big, huge swig, then she puts it down and goes, ah. I thought, oh no. Like I didn't even, like she didn't even, and then, then it happened. It was a delayed response, which made it even better. And her delayed response, well, it started with her face turning redder and more purple color. And then anger, I could see anger in her eyes. Uh, and then I could see she ran to the kitchen sink and started spewing it out and, and, um, and splashing her mouth and her face. And I was over there chuckling as I was, you know, acting like I was doing my homework, you know. Um, uh, but I thought it was hilarious. And then Tammy turned around and looked at me with kind of bloodshot eyes and sort of an angry look. And she said, I will get you. And I thought, oh boy, well, whatever, you know, probably not. Well, the next morning I woke up and I, I woke up on my pillow and I just felt this kind of fuzzy stuff on my face. And I'm like, what's going on here? Now this, you gotta understand this is the big 80s. The, the, you know, the, the, the early 80s when, when everybody had long hair. I had long hair, long flowing mane of locks of hair. Um, but, but what happened was, is Tammy thought it'd be funny to shave my head in the middle of the night. So I woke up in a pile of hair in my face. Uh, but it wasn't attached to my head. And my hair was kind of half shorn, you know, it was like bald over here and sort of long hairs. It, it wasn't the best look, especially for a junior high kid uh, who's somewhat conscious of how he looks. But, um, but she did, in fact, get me back. Uh, but, you know, it was all in good fun. Tammy and I had lots of fun as kids. Um, but, you know, there's, it's funny. It's one thing to do practical jokes and, and, and have sort of a, a thing between your sibs. But it's another thing when they're real family feuds and people are not really talking, or people are angry or unforgiving of one another. It's funny how, you know, as it is Christmas season, it's oftentimes these are the times some of that stuff is brought out more than ever. If you're not getting along with your family or, or there's someone that, you know, is in your family that was bad or evil or wrong. And, and, and the, the question you have to kind of ask is, what do you do about that? And, and do, do you forgive them? And, and should we always forgive? And the answer is kind of an obvious one. It's, it's yes, 
but it's not so easy sometimes. And what does it mean to forgive someone? Um, and and this, is, this is something that um, the rabbis would teach in Jesus's day. They'd teach about forgiveness, but the rabbis taught there was a real limit to, uh, to forgiveness. Um, in fact, the rabbis in those days would teach that you had pretty much three chances that you'd give a person, three strikes and you're out kind of thing. And that's what the rabbis taught in, in, the, in the first century, that you, you can only forgive someone three, three times. Um, the goal today is to see how serious unforgiveness is. By the way, interesting tidbit of information, unforgiveness is not even really a word technically. Did you know that? Um, you're supposed to say unforgivingness if you look it up in Webster's. Um, but I think, uh, who am I to be some linguistic person, but I think unforgiveness is a word and I'm gonna keep using it, just FYI, for some of the sanctimonious people online that wanna write me emails saying, unforgiveness is not a word. Well, it is in my book. Um, unforgivingness is different than unforgiveness. Unforgivingness is just a general attitude of not being forgiving to people. But unforgiveness is in a very exact moment where you're saying, I'm choosing to not be forgiving of this incident or this situation. To me, that's the way it works out. And by the way, if you look it up, there's sermons that have been preached on unforgiveness. It's a word that's been used for centuries. It's just for some reason, they don't wanna make it a real word. But, so I'm gonna use that word uh, till the cows come home today, just FYI, and enjoy it while I'm doing it. Um, but one of the things before we read this little text here in Matthew 18 is there's a link that we need to kind of keep in the back of our minds. There's a link to you and me having an unforgiving spirit in our heart and a link to the level in which the Lord is able to forgive you of your sins. And this starts to make it a little more real and a little more practical. Practical, and, and, and one thing I love, you know, one thing you almost have to assume when you start a teaching like this is, is hopefully you all know that the Lord is big hearted, merciful and forgiving. He's the forgiver of sins. I love 1 John 2, 2. It says, and he, that is Jesus, um, he's the propitiation. What's a propitiation? Well, it's a fancy doctrinal word in the Bible that actually means something really cool. Um, you and I, uh, you know, because of our sin, we owe a debt. But that satisfaction of that debt, that's what the word propitiation means, kind of a satisfaction, um, a substitutionary payment made in place of something you were supposed to pay. He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Like this is good news for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Like this is a, a, an amazing thing that God extends to every person in all the world, his love and forgiveness. The question, the big question is, do you accept it or receive it? Do you accept Jesus and the work of the cross? Because if you reject it, then that work that he did on the cross, he won't make you be forgiven. He won't force you to be forgiven for your sins. That's, that's something you have to choose to accept and receive. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to become a Christian, is to simply accept the work of the cross and believe that it was powerful enough to save you and forgive you of your sins. Um, what if you say, well, Brett, my sins are horrible, worse than anybody else. That's why I love Matthew 12, 31. We looked at this a few weeks ago in our Through the Bible study. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And then what does the Lord do with our sins? I love Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. 
I'm so glad the Lord didn't say here, as far as the south is from the north, or the north from the south. Well, bro, what's the difference? Oh, it's a big difference. If you go south right now, let's say we go south, and you just start walking south, and you go all the way past Salem, past Redding, California, past LA, past Mexico, and you just keep going south, eventually you'll hit the South Pole and you'll start going north. And now you're going north. And if you go all the way north, back up, you'll end up in the North Pole and then you're changing direction again south. There's an end to north and south. But what happens if you go east and you just keep going east forever and ever? You keep going east. There's no east pole. There's no west pole. You say, Brett, what are you talking about? Well, as far as the east is from the west, that means infinity. That means that as far as you can go east, as far as you can go west, infinity, that's how far he puts our sins, our transgressions from us. Um, there's no limit to that. I, I love that. I'm glad it's not north to south. I'm thankful that it's east to west. But, but you know, what's, what's amazing about the huge magnitude of God's forgiveness the hard part is for you and I to have that same magnanimous, forgiving spirit. For some reason, God in his perfection is able to be forgiving of even the worst of the sinners. But you and I, we get all up in a tizzy when somebody just says a, a cross word to us or says something that offends us. Man, we're living in a culture that you can be offended by anything. Um, and, and it's really kind of a sad thing. And, and, and as it turns out, there's always gonna be someone there to, to offend you. It's, it's daily, it's, it's everyone. And, and everyone, even your best friend will offend you at some point. And, and, and at some point you have to kind of say, wait a minute, what, what's my attitude supposed to be when someone wrongs me? Whether it's a small thing or even a giant thing, what do I need to do? And, and, and there's always gonna be someone who gets under your skin and kind of irritates you, but you're, you're called by the Lord to forgive. And like I said, it's linked to the forgiveness you receive from the Lord. Remember the, the, the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6, we studied a few weeks back. Um, you know, the line in there, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Can you pray that with integrity? Can you say, Lord, as I forgive everyone else, would you please forgive me of my sins? Well, this, this is rad, rad, radical stuff. I mean, if you're really good at forgiving people, then yeah, you can pray the Lord's Prayer with, with integrity. But if you're holding grudges, if you're saying, I will never forgive that person, you better hope that you don't ever sin again. Because the Lord says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and, then, and then by the way, look at this at the end of the Lord's Prayer, then Jesus gives a commentary on that. You know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. That glorious Lord's Prayer we looked at a few weeks ago. But he goes on in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father uh, you know, forgive you of your trespasses. Does that make anybody nervous? If you're unforgiving, even, even a slight bit of unforgiveness, I think that's a dangerous position to have. And yet it's the way many people are wired. Bitter, unforgiving, angry, uptight, because they've not forgiven someone of their sins. And this is pretty tough. You know, um, Jesus modeled perfect forgiveness. One of the things we use as a cop-out is, well, the person never said they're sorry, so I'm not gonna forgive someone who's not sorry. Um, do you, you wanna know where you learned that someone had to be sorry before you would forgive them? You learned that in preschool. And it's not really true. Can I just break that down just for a second? Um, true forgiveness does not wait for someone to be truly sorry. The, the idea of forgiveness is forgiving even like Jesus. 
as he was hanging on the cross, being spat upon, have the whipping on his back and the nails in his hands and feet. You know, Jesus in Luke 23, 34 said, oh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then while they were parting his garment and casting lots on all that stuff, Jesus was praying forgiveness upon them while they were crucifying him. And some people say, well, I look for repentance and then I'll forgive. If there's real repentance there, um, I think it's okay to look for repentance, but it's for a different reason. It's not to choose whether or not you're gonna forgive someone. It, it is gonna help you understand what to do with that person after you've forgiven them. Uh, and I'll show you what that means here in a second. But, but Peter, you know, the apostle brings up the topic. And, and, uh, and I think this is hilarious because Peter, have you noticed his track record the last few chapters? He said some things that were brilliant. Remember when he said, you're the Christos, we studied a couple weeks ago, you're, you're the, you know, you're, you're God, you're the son of God. Um, and, and what did Jesus, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. Um, but now I wonder if Peter's fishing for another compliment from Jesus, uh, because he's gonna say something. Let's take a look, it's Matthew chapter 18, and it's uh, starting, in, the story starts in verse 21. It says in Matthew 18, 21, then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Now remember what the rabbis teach in those days, remember three times was with the rabbi. I wonder if Peter's like, okay, what should I say? I wanna get another blessed are you, Simon Barjona. So I'm gonna double what the rabbis say and say six times. Oh, but six is kind of an ugly number in the Bible if you know your Old Testament. Um, so let's round it right up to seven. That's the Jesus number. Seven. Okay, so I'm gonna say seven. And then he'll say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Okay, Lord, how often should we forgive my brother? Seven times? <laughs> I just wonder, I'm sorry to Peter if, he, if he's up in heaven listening to this. Uh, I'm sorry if, that, if I put that wrong, but I kind of get a sense that he's trying to be magnanimous by saying seven. But Jesus answers, verse 22, and says unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times Seven. 70 times seven, carry the one, 490 times. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I heard this teaching and I thought, well, I'm gonna start counting then. Um, does that, is that what Jesus meant for you to really go literally 409 times? So there your neighbor leaves his garbage can a little bit over your property line and there in your garage, you take the tally marks on the studs. Okay, one. And then the next week he leaves his trash, a two. And then like seven or eight years later, you're like, there it is, 490 times. I do not forgive you now because I've forgiven you 490 times. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, the answer is no. Um, in fact, on Wednesday night, when we go through this chapter in more detail, I'm gonna show you kind of how important the, word, the number 490 is in the Bible. Uh, and there's some interesting implications perhaps there. But, but the idea here is, um, you know, it's not, it's not the three strikes you're out of the rabbi's teaching. It's not even seven times you should forgive someone, which Peter thought he was being, being probably big hearted. But 70 times seven means what Jesus is saying is you need to just keep forgiving. It's not like you're supposed to keep the 490 tally going. But the idea is to, to, to um, you know, not keeping track of how many times they're uh, sinning against you. Uh, to be big-hearted, forgiving, no matter how many times someone sins against you. That's, that's kind of what the Bible teaches us. Um, have you ever just said, I'm done forgiving this person? Um, there might be some 
okay things to say, you know, I'm no longer gonna do this with that person, but I don't think we can ever get to a place where we say I'm finished, you know, forgiving. I'm gonna be bitter and upset about that for the rest of my life. As it turns out, by the way, did you know that unforgiveness is unhealthy? Uh, it was researchers uh, uh, saying there at Hope College in Michigan, uh, they, they were measuring um, the physiological um, uh, benefits of forgiveness versus bitterness and be, becoming more <clears throat> unforgiving. And uh, they found some amazing things. They were measuring heart rates, sweat rates, other responses of subjects. When they were asked to remember um, past wrongs that had been done to them and the people that were involved, and when they started talking about the people who've wronged them in the past, their blood pressure, quote, increases, their heart rate increases, their muscle tensions are higher. Uh, Professor Charlotte Van uh, Oyen uh, um, uh suggests that their stress responses were much greater during their unforgiving than their forgiving conditions. That was actually John Hopkins University recently who did a thing, that was an article, <clears throat> Forgiveness, Your Health Depends on It. Um, and this article says, whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or long-held resentment toward your family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, stress, and the research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you get older and older. Um, the older you get, the, it, the problem is you tend to become more bitter because more people have wronged you. And so have you ever seen the angry old man, the bitter old man that, that just is just done being uh, forgiving? Well, that, that's a real dangerous place and it's not a healthiest place. Um, this Dr. Karen Schwartz, uh, uh, director of the mood disorders and adult consultation clinic at the John Hopkins Hospital, said there's an enormous physical burden um, to being hurt and disappointed. Uh, chronic uh, anger puts you in a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and your immune response. They're, they're actually learning more about how your unforgiveness and bitterness that you hold in your heart um, affects your immune response. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because heart disease, diabetes, there's so many con conditions that are linked, according to Johns Hopkins, um, and that, that kind of makes, makes sense. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a medical doctor to, to know that when I'm bitter at someone or angry, I don't feel good. Um, it does make your blood pressure, you feel your blood pressure boiling. You know, you might be as happy as a clam walking around one day and then that person shows up and suddenly your heart rate goes up, your temperature raises, some of your faces turn red. I have one of those red faces. When, when I get mad, I turn bright red. Uh, or really embarrassed, and it's kind of embarrassing. So then I get even more red because I'm embarrassed because my face is red. Um, but um, but I wish I didn't have that. That's a tell for me. Uh, that's kind of a tough one. Um, but but the you know what's interesting is is what we're learning. Even whether it's spiritual, emotional, uh, psychological, what we're learning is that you're the one who loses. When you're unforgiving towards someone, you're the one who loses. You're the one who's getting the blood pressure. The person who's wronged you goes on their merry way and has forgotten you. They're doing fine. You're the one because of bitterness that's gonna reap the consequences. It was Robertson Wilkin who said, the sin of unforgiveness is a cancer that destroys relationships, eats away at one's own psyche, and worst of all, shuts us off from God's grace. 
How does, it sh- how does unforgiveness shut us off from God's grace? Well, there's a lot of scriptures that give us this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 um, declares this. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any, uh, any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, now that's kind of a key part of this, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Many people are defiled by this root of bitterness. What's a root? It's under the ground, it's not always seen. It's starting to grow underneath the, the surface and, and it's festering there but it starts to spring up. And what does is, what is the root of bitterness produce? Apples, pears, peaches? Nope, trouble. That's what it does. Bitterness springs up trouble in you and many are defiled by that root of bitterness that springs up in your heart. This is what the Bible teaches. Those that have bitterness, um, they find themselves being separated, frustrating or failing the grace of God as this verse says. So one thing we have to understand is unforgiveness is sin. Um, and it's a sin that you don't wanna be committing. Um, you might say, well, Brad, I'm angry at this person and I have a right to be. I have a right to not forgive this person. And, and the biblical answer is no, you don't. You and I do not have a right to be unforgiving, if, especially if you claim to be a Christian. If you're saying, I'm gonna accept the forgiveness that God gives to me for my sins, but I'm not gonna forgive them of their sins. Uh, but Brett, you don't understand how bad the person was who wronged me. I will never forgive them. Um, Jesus was wronged more than anybody on the planet and he never did one thing wrong. Jesus was sinless. He who knew no sin, well, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, uh, the Lord hath made him to be sin for he who knew no sin that we might be made to righteousness of God in him. Christ took on the sins of the world even though he did nothing wrong. Um, His friends betrayed him. His own people, the Jews, beat him and murdered him. Uh, we're included on that, by the way. Don't just blame the Jews. That's a wrong thing. But, but why did Jesus go to the cross? He had you in mind. And he had the, you know, the sins that were committed against you in mind as well. All the things that have been done wrong. If you've been abused, treated poorly, uh, hated, despised, deceived, ripped off. Whatever it is that horrible things, the stories that have happened against you. Jesus was wronged worse than you were. And yet he forgives you of your sins. Um, and so we ought to forgive the sins of other. But Brett, what if they're not sorry? Remember, you don't wait for somebody to be sorry before you forgive them. By the way, the, the word sorry could be sort of talked about in the light of repentance. The Bible talks about repent. Repent of your sins. That means to change your mind and go the opposite direction. And the problem is, one thing I've learned in ministry of all these years, I've been in ministry for a lot of years. Um, about 40 years I've been in ministry, but the one thing I've learned is I don't know what repentance looks like. Not even close. I've been wrong so many times thinking somebody was repentant and they weren't, or thinking they weren't repentant, but they actually were. That happens over and over and over. I got stories, man. I remember one time years ago, I was counseling this one guy and he came into the office just crying and sobbing and I just felt so bad for this guy. I mean, he was talking about how his wife was gonna leave him because he had been unfaithful with another woman. And you know, I found myself sort of feeling sorry for the guy and, and he, cause he was just so broken. And I thought, oh man, you know, um, this poor guy really made a big mistake and sin, but, but man, I think he's repentant. I really did think that to myself. Um, but his wife ended up leaving him. And uh, um, a few years later, I was still trying to work with this guy and counsel 
But in a moment of candor and honesty, he told me something that was kind of shocking to me. He said, Brett, remember when I came and talked to you that one time? He said, I wasn't repentant at all. He said, I was in the middle of my sin and I was still engaging from that. He said, the very afternoon that I was there in your office weeping, he said, I went out and slept with the same lady. And it was only afterward I realized, wow, he was playing a game the whole time. Um, repentance looks like weeping and crying and sobbing and all that, but it's not always the way it is. By the way, there's stories of the Bible that tell us about this. Remember when Saul and David, you know, Saul was hunting David like a dog there in the wilderness of En Gedi, and David didn't deserve it. David was kind to Saul. But King Saul was trying to kill David, hunting him. Well, David sneaks into a cave that Saul's sleeping in or relieving himself. It's a long story. But um, David cuts a section of his robe off without Saul even knowing it and then sneaks out and goes across the canyon and says, Saul, I could have killed you. Look, I have part of your robe. And Saul looks down, his robe's cut. He's like, oh boy. And Saul suddenly looks very repentant. He starts sobbing there in 1 Samuel 24, verses 16 through 19. Saul says, is that thy voice, <clears throat> my son, David? And, and David said, yeah, oh, I'm so sorry. He's weeping and like, oh, I've treated you so badly. You are more righteous than I, and you have treated me with honesty and goodness where I have treated you evil. <clears throat> and on and on he goes, um, and he's like, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm your father. You're my blessed son, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of like a Star Wars moment when, you know, Luke Skywalker meets Darth Vader. Luke, I am your father. And it's like, that was the moment, you know, Saul's like, uh, I love you, my son, go along, let's play catch, you know, or whatever. Um, well, David, does anybody know what happened? Where did David go after, um, after they had that little interaction? He went back hiding in the caves. Why? Because I think David knew that while Saul looked maybe repentant and was weeping and saying, oh, my son, I've been so evil. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Saul was still really wicked and David knew it. But I thought, man, Saul sounded repentant there in 1 Samuel. Now fast forward, now you know, Saul's dead, David's the new king over Israel. Now the king, David, he sleeps with this woman Bathsheba, who's not his wife, and then tries to cover it up by murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, and covers it all up and thinks he pulls it off. Well, Nathan the prophet comes and, and says, David, uh, dude, you are guilty, and you've committed this evil sin. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, Nathan says, David, you're a sinner and you've committed adultery and murdered this guy. And David looked at Nathan the prophet and, and it just says this in the Bible. It says, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's all he says. I have sinned against the Lord. There's no weeping or crying or oh, I have sinned. none of that. I have sinned against the Lord. Well, Brett, that doesn't look like repentance. But then Nathan the prophet says to David, and David, the Lord has forgiven you um, and he will put away your sin and you will not die. So we know that the Lord forgave David, which means he must have been repentant because God knows the heart of man. And David was sorrowful. It didn't sound like it to me. I have sinned against the Lord. What about Potiphar? I mean, I mean, not Potiphar. What about Uriah the Hittite? Or what about Bathsheba? He sinned against them too. But David said, no, I have sinned. Did you know when you sin, you're sinning against the Lord, not against the people you think you're sinning against? It's actually to sin literally against the Lord. That's why Joseph, speaking of Potiphar, when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife said, hey, you big boy, come on, let's go sleep together. Remember the story? And David said, should I do this thing and sin against the Lord? What about Potiphar? What about, you know, the, the you know, sinning against, um, you know, himself and doing, you know, sexually perverse things? David, uh, pardon me, Joseph, he knew that sinning was against the Lord. Now, interesting, on this idea of repentance and what it really looks like, you know, sinning, um, 
You know, David and Bathsheba, Nathan says, the Lord will forgive you. But I need to say this because this is where people get really confused on the idea of forgiveness. Um, even though the Lord forgave David, were there still consequences because of David's sin? There sure were, and they were horrible consequences. Yeah, but I thought God forgive, for, forgave David. He did forgive David, but David still had consequences for his sin. Do you see there's a difference? Some people make the mistake of thinking, well, if I forgive this person, that means there's gonna be no repercussions of the sin. And that can't be that way. Um, sometimes you have to kind of still be on your guard. Well, that's not forgiveness, to forgive and forget. See, this is where we Christians get a little messed up. God is able to forgive and forget because he knows all things. But you and I, there are situations where you need to learn how to forgive people, but there still might be, let's just go crazy for a second. Let's say you murder someone, the Lord will forgive you for that. But you might have to go to prison for the rest of your life. You might even get the death penalty and that's what's gonna happen. There's still consequences for our sinful actions. Um, even more so, I've noticed over the years, and we've seen this, and it's becoming a sad uh, commonality in the church, in the greater church of Jesus Christ around the world, where you know people have, like say a sexual predator um, has sinned and done something, and then what are we supposed to do? Well, if that person repents, then we're supposed to forgive them. And so some churches have taken it, well, they've been repentant, we forgive them, so sign them up for the children's ministry. Um, well, that's not really what happens in that situation. Well, Brett, that's not really forgiveness. Oh, it sure is. You can forgive someone, but you don't put them in a place where, where you're gonna make sure that they're, you don't use your children as sort of a, a, a test area to make sure that he really is repentant. Does that make sense? So there's consequences for sin. And, and the reason I say that is because some of you will take it into weird directions. And I understand because this is hard stuff and heartbreaking stuff. Some of you were abused by an uncle sexually. And then you hear Pastor Brett saying, I'm supposed to forgive him? You want me to forgive him? And the answer is, no, the Lord tells you to forgive him. The Bible requires that you forgive him. And in your mind, you're saying, well, that means I need to invite him over for Thanksgiving and have him play with the children and be uh, hanging out like just a regular family. I didn't say that. Forgiveness doesn't mean that your abusive, perverted uncle is supposed to come back for Thanksgiving. Does that make, does that make sense? I hope you understand there's a line here. Um, and, and so you have to kind of say, listen, um, forgiveness comes from my heart. Truly to say, I'm gonna forgive someone from my heart. We'll, we'll show you that in a second. Um, now, um, all that to say, uh, you know, Matthew, I, I remember what Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 says. And this is what I would say for us when it comes to this idea of forgiveness versus repercussions of sin. Behold, Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. That's kind of the mantra we need to remember. Wise as serpents. Don't just, you know, I remember my dad taught me as a kid, Brett, you know, you're supposed to be kind and forgiving and good to people. But then my dad would all say, but Brett, don't let people mistake your Christian love and kindness for stupidity. And there was a good lesson there. And I think that's this wise as serpent part, but harmless as doves. So you say, okay, Brad, I get it. We're supposed to forgive people so that we're not bitter against them. We're not holding grudges. We're not letting their sin that they've done against me eat away at me. I'm gonna have to choose to forgive them and then let the Lord deal with whatever repercussions or consequences that person's gonna deal with. And really, this is like a bit of a splash of cold water. And we have to say, okay, Lord, that's good. But see, here's the thing. Some of you might still be struggling with this idea of forgiving someone who's done something horrible to you. But this is where Jesus now tells a story, and we'll finish up the chapter here. 
Jesus tells a story to illustrate what it means to forgive 70 times seven. And, and, and this is also gonna link God forgiving you to you being willing to forgive those who've wronged you. Let's take a look at the story and then we'll wrap it up. It's Jesus talking in verse 23. It says in Matthew 18, 23, therefore, when you see the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. And it's therefore because Peter brought up the subject of how many times should I forgive my brother? 70 times seven, Jesus said. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants? And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. How much is 10,000 talents? The answer is nobody really knows. Well, Brett, my margin tells me this uh, talent is 750 ounces of silver, which is uh, five shillings. Um, well, as it turns out, um, that's just whatever your Bible says and what those scholars believe, but I've noticed nobody really agrees on what a talent is, uh, as it turns out. And this is kind of a funny thing. You can look it up, but uh, you'll find different answers depending on who you talk about. Um, the Greek word is interesting here, and it basically shows something about this word talent. And while you'll hear everybody disagreeing, the Greek word is talenton. Um, and it, it's a weight varying in, this is the Greek definition from the Greek dictionary, a weight varying in different places and times. A sum of money weighing a talent. So it's, it's not a super definitive term when we read this in the New Testament, the word talent. You're like, well, how much is a talent? Nobody really knows, but there are speculations. And you'll, you'll hear anywhere from uh, you know, a talent in the 40s or a, a real common one is a talent is 58 pounds. You'll hear that one, or some people say 80. There are guesstimations up to 200 pounds of either silver or, or gold. So a talent is a lot of money. But, but not only that, uh, the words 10,000 talents, well, that makes it Elon Musk material. Do you understand that? Until he bought t Twitter and all that. So uh, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I, that's a whole nother discussion. <clears throat> but what was it billions? Maybe, maybe. Because if you break it down, it says, you know, a talent, which we don't really know. But if you go with the conservative number, uh, you know, the 58 that some people suggest, um, then the word 10,000s is actually a single word in the Greek. It's, um, it's murioi is the, is the word. And, it's, and the word means innumerable and countless. That's the number one definition. It's almost like um, when you see sometimes in the Bible, the word 10,000, you can all put the word murioi and, and it means 10,000s of 10,000s and 10,000s. That's, that's kind of what it means. It means countless, innumerable. Sometimes it literally means 10,000. That's the second definition of the word murioi. Um, but, um, but scholars argue. So uh, even with the most conservative numbers, uh, if you do the math of this, and the most conservative numbers is $9,600,000. Um, uh, if you put the 200 pounds thing, it gets into something like 12 billion, 760 million, uh, uh, $100,000 or something like that. So it's a huge amount of money. That's the point. And uh, so Jesus saying some dude owes this to his master, massive amount of money. Verse 25, but for, uh, for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Did you know that's how they handle, handled people in debt in Bible times? If you were in debt and you couldn't pay the master, they would throw you in jail or prison until you paid off the debt. And how long would you be there? Probably the rest of your life and your kids and your wife because you got into debt. Brutal. 
But the, the servant, therefore, verse 26, it says, um, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. It's not that he said, oh, okay, I'll let you go, but make sure and pay me later. Nope, he just said, you owe me you know, billions of dollars. Tell you what, I'm just gonna lift the, the debt off you. I'm, I'm having compassion on you. So you're free to go and you don't owe me one dime. Is that good news for this guy? Well, yeah, but then listen what happens. Verse 28, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. This guy didn't owe any more money to his master. Now he's shaken down his other servant. How much does he owe him? A hundred pence. Now the word pence in the Greek is, uh, is interesting. Um, the word pence is denarion, where we get the word denari, uh, which is still a monetary unit in the Middle East today. But um, in, in the first century, it was a Roman silver coin, a denarion. And it was about uh, the, the amount of money of a day's wage in those days. Um, you know, it's amazing when I see inflation and like at Taco Bell, you can make like $18, $19 an hour now. Like it's an amazing thing. So, but in, in Bible times, you know how much the average amount of money that a person made in one day? 16 cents, 16 cents a day. So what does it say? The guy owed him 116 cents. Um, so what is that? $16, right? Is that right? $16. Um, so the one, he, he, this guy owes him $16. He owed the other guy billions and billions. But now this guy owes him only $16. And what does he do? He shakes him down, takes him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. And verse 29, it says, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Sound familiar? And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the, the $16. So his fellow servants saw what was done and they were very sorry and came and told unto his, their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desired me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's a verse worthy of marking, noting, because this is talking to you and me. This is Jesus talking to you and me. Shouldn't you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth with and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due to him. So likewise, this is another scary verse right here, verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Whew. Interesting, you know, um, it, it's, it's a section here where Christ forgives you of your sins so that you owe nothing. What a radical truth. That's what the gospel is. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid your debt. You know, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. And when you cry out to the Lord, say, oh Lord, have mercy on me. He forgives you completely. Put your sins as far as the east is from the rest. And he saves you. But in the story that Jesus gives us, this guy gets his debt washed away and then he gets caught up on this guy's $16. God is willing to forgive you and me of everything we've ever done wrong from the time we were born to the time we die. And then someone says something to you and you're unforgiving toward them. The, the Bible, Jesus is showing us how ridiculous that really is. 
You and I have no room, zero wiggle room to hold bitterness and grudges and unforgiveness in our hearts. And, and you know, one of the things we've learned um, in like Luke chapter six, verse 38, remember sermons have been given on tithing and giving on this, but it's not about tithing. It's about showing mercy when Luke in chapter six, verse 38 says, you know, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, um, shall, a, shall men give into your bosom. And then he says, the Lord says, for with the same measure of, and the idea is mercy, forgiveness, with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. Remember when we went through that in Matthew, but also in Luke? Um, these, these are the words of Jesus. The same measure or the amount of mercy you give out is how much the Lord is willing to forgive you. And that's why the Lord's prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It lines up with the rest of the Bible perfectly. Even as Jesus said, if you forgive men their trespasses, the Holy, Holy uh, Heavenly Father will forgive you. There was a man named John Oglethorpe who walked up to John Wesley after a sermon that John Wesley was preaching on forgiveness. And he says, I will never forgive. And John Wesley sh sharply replied, then sir, I hope you never sin because that is the truest thing. If you are unforgiving, you better hope you never sin because the Lord is gonna deal out mercy in the same way you deal out mercy. Um, Interesting, when you look at this final verse of our chapter 18, verse 35, and when it breaks down, this is, this is what the Lord tells us, Jesus tells us, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you if from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother. Um, what does it mean to forgive someone from your heart? There's a difference between forgiving someone from your mind and then having forgiveness in your heart. I'll tell you what the difference sort of looks and feels like. If you see a person that has wronged you, what is your phys physical or emotional response when you see that person? If you forgive it in, the, in their mind, I'm gonna choose to forgive them, but then you see them and you're still really angry and you see them and your blood starts boiling and you get all worked up and upset and uptight, there might be still an issue in your heart. And one of the things we've been learning here as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew is sometimes changing your heart is really hard, isn't it? Changing your mind, I think, is easy. Our minds can be changed, flip-flop, whip-wap, zip-zap. You can flip your mind around anytime. I choose to not hate that person anymore. But your heart's like, so, so there you are. You see that person, I love this person. But in your heart, you're like, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. No, I love him. Nope, you hate him. Like your heart is hard desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17 9 says. You, got, you and I have to really deal with this cruddy little heart that we have. Good news. You change your mind, and then who changes your heart? The Lord is the one who changes your heart. You change your mind, and then pray, and allow the Lord to come and do a heart change. I love the Old Testament imagery. The Lord says, I'm gonna change your stony heart, and I'm gonna replace it with a heart of flesh. The Lord is the one who can change our hearts. That's like the psalmist, change my heart, O God. We need heart change, and the Lord is the one who has to do that. It's easy to change your mind, a little hard to change your heart. So those who've wronged you, treated you badly, lied about you, uh, abused you, ripped you off, you know, we need to say, Lord, change my heart and help me to forgive. Um, and then you take care of the consequences of that person. Um, and so if Christ is willing to forgive our sin, we need to be willing to forgive their sin. I, I remember Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, very classic scripture. Um, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. 
Uh, the Greek word here is, is a great word that's kind of like the uh, east is from the west kind of mentality. Put it far away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You know, it's, it's um, interesting because the Bible has much to say about this and I'm only, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface, but um, one of the things that I've loved about the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a book full of pictures that illustrate New Testament truths. That's why we go through the Old Testament as a church. But one of the pictures I'd like to finish today with is from Exodus. Would you flip over to the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 15. And there we'll finish with the story. Uh, the children of Israel had already left Egypt. They'd been slaves there for 450 years. And um, they left Egypt, went and bumped up against the Red Sea, Piahiroth and Migdal, the two mountains. And then Pharaoh's army came and the water opened and the children of Israel went across the Red Sea. Beautiful story. Now they're free walking around, but they're traveling through the wilderness. And uh, while they're in the wilderness, they start getting really thirsty and they think they're gonna die. And that's where we pick up this story in Exodus 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to, to Marah, where they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter or poisoned. Therefore, the name of, the, the, of it was called Marah. Marah means bitterness. So they're the ones who named it that. There was a little, like, the, can you imagine traveling through the wilderness and dry desert and you finally find some water, a little miniature oasis and everybody's all excited and they come up and they start drinking. Patooey, it's grotesque, it's poisonous. Uh, they spit it out. They're like, Moses, you brought it out here tonight. What are we gonna do? So Moses, verse 24 says, the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And so Moses, verse 25, he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree which when he, was cast, when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Interesting that um, Moses gets a word from the Lord and the Lord shows him a tree. Now this is funny, because I've traveled in this area of the, of the world a lot. I've been to this wilderness area. If you've been, uh, you know, three days journey outside of the Red Sea in what is today modern day Jordan, there's not a weed for hundreds of miles. There's no bushes, trees. It's desert, barren, dry, hot. So there they are out in the middle of this dry desert and the Lord shows them a tree. Question for you Bible typology people, what is a tree a picture of in the Bible? The cross. Cursed is one who hangs on a tree, the Old Testament declares. Like the, the idea of a tree always points us to Calvary. So. I think there's, there's a beautiful picture here for you and me. You see, our, the waters of our heart can be very bitter because of unforgiveness. And, and it's poisoned. And you'll die in your sin if you're unforgiving. But how do you fix the bitterness in your soul? You add the tree. The Lord showed Moses a tree. He put the tree in and the water became sweet. How does that work out practically? It's the cross. Two words, the cross. It's all about the cross of Jesus. So, when you're tempted to think, well, that person sinned and wronged me, so I'm not gonna forgive them, you have to remember Jesus died for that sin as well. Who in the world am I to hold bitterness to a person that Jesus was willing to die for that sin that they committed against me? 
Um, and I, it doesn't mean I have to buddy a buddy with that person for the rest of my life, but it does mean that I need to forgive them, even as our text says, in your heart, from your heart. And the only way I know to have your heart changed is to add the cross. When I realize what Jesus did for me, the nails in his hands and feet, the whipping on his back, the crown of thorns, they ripped out his beard and they beat him beyond recognition and he did all of that for me, it leaves me no room to be bitter about people who have sinned against me. So I need to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving others, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven me. That's what this little parable Jesus told is, you and I don't wanna be the wicked servant that's been forgiven all the sin only to be messed up by being bitter and holding others to their sins when we've been forgiven beautifully. The Christian is to be forgiving. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And my question is, how are you doing? Don't let bitterness ruin you. You might think, well, Brett, this is a hard sermon. No, it's probably the most loving thing the word tells us is to be forgiving because you're the one that gets messed up when you're unforgiving. You're the one that's gonna be unhealthy, spiritually, emotionally, maybe even physically. Don't let the enemy rip you off with unforgiveness, but choose to be forgiving one another, even as Jesus was forgiving. Good word for us, especially around this time of year. So when you have family members over for Christmas, you're gonna be able to test, how's my heart doing on forgiving? That'll be the question. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this. Um, our fleshly human nature is not to be forgiving, to hold grudges, to be offended, to stay offended, um, to harbor bitterness. And Lord, your word talks about how that root of bitterness can spring up in our lives as just nothing but trouble. So I pray that you'd help us as your people to be more like you, that we would forgive others as you have forgiven us. Forgive us, Lord, where we've been um, unwilling to, to do what you've done for us, unwilling to, to forgive and, and to choose to um, love people, even, even our enemies. You're, you're told us in your word that we're to love even our enemies. So help us to be more like you. I pray that this Christmas season would be full of that kind of love, unconditional, perfect love that you have for us. So bless these, your people, as we go our way on this Sunday morning. Help us to apply these things practically in Jesus' name, amen.